when we get to this phase in our life, a lot of us are in survival mode. Mm-hmm. So we're already swimming in a whole lot of cortisol. Mm-hmm. And then you get to this perimenopause phase and then into menopause and your hormones are, your sex hormones are decreasing. Mm-hmm. Now you've got an, a, another bump up in cortisol just naturally from the decrease in the sex hormones. So if you're already swimming in cortisol, you're drowning in it by the time you get to perimenopause and menopause. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey sister, how are you feeling in your body today? How are you sleeping these days? How are you feeling in your guts? How's your period? Are you experiencing any fatigue or bloating or anxiety or mood swings, hot flashes, night sweats, intense PMS? Okay, maybe this is a bit of a rhetorical question since I know you are likely struggling with these, which is why you're listening to the podcast. All of these symptoms and many other symptoms are symptoms of hormone imbalance, But we're much more susceptible, of course, to a hormone imbalance in perimenopause, but we can't just name our aging and hormone issues, like we can't just blame it on that because the truth is something is causing the hormones to become imbalanced. And no, it's not perimenopause. The truth is that it is stress in one form or another. Now, we know that stress comes in so many facets in our life. And if you are anything like me, you might think you're managing it, but in fact, are just internalizing it. So knowing that stress is the root of so many hormone imbalances, especially in perimenopause, I wanted to get an expert on the podcast to help us better understand the relationship between stress and menopause, how it affects us, and what we can do about it for relief. And that expert is here today. So I'm so excited to introduce you to Chantal Donnelly. Chantal is a physical therapist and author of the Amazon best-selling book, Settled, How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. She's also the owner of Body Insight, a wellness company designed to help people reconnect with their bodies and improve their health. She combines her anatomy and physiology knowledge and experience with nervous system science to help people with chronic pain, overwhelming stress, and stress-related illnesses. Great, right? Isn't this going to be awesome? Through videos, workshops, and her book, Chantal teaches body-focused tools for calming the nervous system. She believes that the stress fluency can make the world a better place. And she's here today to give us some real insight and actionable tips to help. So welcome, Chantal. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Bria. I'm happy I'm here too. Yes. So can you tell first, tell us a little bit about you. How did you, I'm going to call you a stress expert. I don't know if you identify as that, but how did you, how did you get into this field? 
Well, I, I was a physical therapist. I have been a physical therapist now for 24 years. And um, way back, um, probably when I had been practicing for, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years, I started getting frustrated. I was really enjoying my work. Um, I had put out a couple of rehab DVDs and I was seeing people one-on-one in a private clinic. And I was really seeing my patients do better overall. But what I found is that there was about 70 to 80% of my patients who they would get better on my table. Um, The exercises I were giving them were helping and all of that, but then they would go out into, let's call it the real world, Um, whether it was their stressful jobs or maybe a strained relationship, maybe they were taking care of children or they were taking care of aging uh, parents, whatever it was that was their stress it was affecting their bodies and affecting their progress in physical therapy. So I was able to unwind their connective tissue in physical therapy and life was winding their connective tissue right back up again. It's an amazing thing to visualize. Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, and it, it, it's, it, 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 was, it was an aha moment, but it was also this frustration, like how do I help people? Mm-hmm. Of course, at the same time, I'm going through my own stress, right? I'm a mom. I'm, I'm, you know, trying to have this entrepreneur business. I'm mm-hmm. all the stuff that causes stress I had in my life too. And I felt like all of the tools that were being offered to me for stress were not helping me. And so of course they weren't helping my patients either. And so I started doing sort of a deep dive into the stress science and I, I thought I was going to have to go back to school. Honestly, I have an undergrad in psychology and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get a PhD in psych and, you know, see where that takes me with stress. But I really felt like it was a path I wanted to take. And so I was willing to do that. But what I found is that I didn't need to do that because stress lives in the body. So my anatomy and physiology knowledge and my experience as a PT were actually really super helpful um, to understand stress. And it gave me sort of a novel understanding of where we need to go because a lot of the tools and techniques that are being thrown out there, a lot of the mindset and positive thinking and all of that meditation weren't working for most of the people that I was was talking to. So that's when I found a body up approach to managing stress. I like this body up. Yes. Otherwise known as somatic tools, Mm -hmm. but um, we really sort of as humans prioritize our thinking. So those are body or excuse me, brain down Mm. approaches where we talk about mindset and positive thinking, meditation, psychology, all of that stuff. And all of those things are wonderful. I do all of those things. But what was missing for me and my patients was this body up approach, a real understanding of what's happening in the nervous system in the body um, before they bring in these top down tools. And what I say in the book is that when you bring in the body up and the top down, you meet at the heart. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. I, I love that you touched on this because. I mean, obviously, you know, there's so much, you know, proof around the value of things like meditation and that kind of mind down. Um, but I, I do find that, you know, as humans in our world, like we are really cerebral all the time. And that's somehow where we really miss what is going on in the body. So it's like this two prong approach you're bringing to us here. Yeah. And I think for women um, going into perimenopause and menopause, it's particularly important. Mm-hmm. My theory, and this is just a sort of theory, if you will, it's is that that cerebral approach, that rational thinking approach 
has a real masculine energy to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as we go through perimenopause and menopause, we start to realize that we have embraced that masculine energy to get through life. Yeah. Um, it's helped us to sort of um, pursue our goals and to do things in life. But when we get to perimenopause, our bodies are like, uh-uh, I need you to reconnect with the body and that feminine uh, energy and that intuition and your gut instinct and your creativity and all of that stuff that lives in the body, right? So a lot of times we've been told that, you know, the feelings, our feelings are too big, right? And we feel too much as women. And so we've suppressed that. And it's time to sort of reconnect with that and reconnect with your body. I love that. I fully subscribe to that theory that you're saying. I think, you know, you know, when you said we've had enough, like, I almost picture us, like our body being like, I've headed up to here, you know, like, (laughs) like, I'm just, I'm done doing it the way that doesn't feel right for me or doesn't really consider all of me. And we do actually see like the shifting of the hormones actually impacts parts of our brain that now make it more aware of things that are bothering us. So we're just so much more susceptible. I almost, my theory around it is like this, this like subconscious drive to reproduce has now kind of shifted and the fog has cleared a little and we're like wait a second this pisses me off and now I have nothing else to kind of you know overcome and pretend it's not pissing me off so I love that theory that's awesome yeah thank you so maybe we should talk a bit more about that because I know you have a bit of a story too around you know how stress started impacting you in perimenopause but like let's talk about that that relationship between the two of them a little bit more um, yeah. So the, what happens when you are going through perimenopause is obviously, as everyone knows, there is a shift in hormones and you have a decrease in your sex hormones. Mm-hmm. It generally starts with testosterone in women in their 40s. And then you you get the progesterone and then the estrogen. And so, you know, our ovaries start to go into retirement. Mm-hmm. Right. As they should. They've been working really hard to deserve a nice <laughs> retirement. Yeah, they want to snow. So we still produce sex hormones, although much less, but the the production of our sex hormones gets shifted over to our adrenals. Mm -hmm. Now, ironically, our adrenals is also where cortisol is produced. And cortisol, you can call it the stress hormone, but of course it does other things. It's also part of our circadian rhythm, our wake sleep cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we we get this this sort of competition within the adrenals, you can think of it as a competition where the adrenals are used to having just production of cortisol happening there and not the sex hormones. And then all of a sudden it's a shift where the sex hormones need to be produced there. They also happen to share the same uh, molecules and chemical compounds um, as their building blocks. So again, there's this competition. And so what happens is we produce less sex hormones and more cortisol. There's a balance Mm -hmm. that happens and there's a teeter-totter that that occurs. You get a decrease in the sex hormones, you get an increase in cortisol. Now, if you're a woman like me who during perimenopause, I thought I had it all together. (laughs) It was a bit of a roller coaster ride. I even had, I went through uh, hip surgery during perimenopause, which was a stressor. And, you know, there's When we get to this phase in our life, a lot of us are in survival mode. Mm -hmm. So we're already swimming in a whole lot of cortisol. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then you get to this perimenopause phase and then into menopause and your hormones are, your sex hormones are decreasing. Mm-hmm. Now you've got an, a, another bump up in cortisol just naturally from the decrease in the sex hormones. So if you're already swimming in cortisol, you're drowning in it by the time you get to perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm. And add to that, like you said, we're now working, you know, we are starting to realize that we've been working kind of in a man's world or in that masculine energy for so long. And it's just becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back of it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, I want to try to spell this out for women. Like if, if this, they should know that this is starting to happen to them. If what kinds of symptoms are occurring? Like, what are we uh-huh. noticing? You know, what did you notice actually? Let's start there. Um, in perimenopause, mm-hmm. I was noticing, of course, less symptoms. So I had the initial symptom was a decrease in libido. Mm-hmm. And that was my testosterone dropping. Um, and then I started to get the brain fog. And then uh, I'm trying to remember now. It's been so yeah. long. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's just let's just let everyone let's give everyone a little hope. There is that obviously it's gotten better. So it's we're gotten a little better. Yeah, yeah, it's so gotten that's better. amazing. It was the time and place. Okay, yeah. brain fog for um, sure. Yeah, brain fog for sure. And um, you know what? I, what happened is while I went through menopause, so there was. And now a secondary shift in my hormones. When I started going through menopause, the pandemic was happening and we were in full lockdown. So obviously a stressful time. And so the, the decrease in the estrogen that happened during the pandemic for me, plus the stress of the pandemic, I was, I think I was having hot flashes every 15 minutes. Oh my gosh. Every yeah. 15 minutes. And yeah. And the brain fog got really, really bad. Um, the other thing that happened is I would wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and I could barely walk. My feet were so swollen. Everything started getting really swollen and my had aches and pains that would kind of travel all over my body and move around. And as a physical therapist, I know that that's you know, there's nothing specifically wrong when your pain moves around like that. It usually means there's some systemic inflammatory process going on. Um, and, and it usually means there's stress. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's actually, that's a really good, uh, I love hearing you say that because I think as a, like as a professional in a certain field, when you can start, when these things start happening to you, it's, it can be a little bit like, oh my gosh, you know, almost, um, it's a little shocking because you're like, I should know how to deal with this. But when you're able to put that perspective on it and know like, okay, this is really where this is coming from. I mean, that's some amazing learning for you to, to recognize that if it's moving around. So for people who are listening, if it's moving around, then that is a, a pretty key indicator that it is inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. Generally. And then of course, so cortisol causes inflammation right. over the long term. In the short term, it's actually anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So in an acute stress um, situation, it's anti-inflammatory, but like over time, sorry, like a break, like a bone breaking or something like that. When yeah. Or even about- just an emergency, like you, you know, if I had to take my child to the ER because he broke, broke a bone. So my stress response to that would would be anti-inflammatory. It would boost my immune system. But when it's prolonged stress in the, in terms of the pandemic, which was prolonged and in terms of, uh, going into menopause, that response, that cortisol response, those were both prolonged. And so, um, I started eventually feeling those, the, the inflammation in my body. That's what Mm -hmm. was going on. Yeah. 
easy. And I know, I mean, obviously we know sleep, you know, you talked about like, like the management of the circadian rhythm. So obviously this is why sleep gets really disrupted in this time frame as well and, and other things. So what did you do? I mean, a hot flashes every 15 minutes is pretty debilitating in your life. Like what, what was your next step? What did you do about it? Well, I, um, I started doing a lot of tools um, mm-hmm. and it's the tools that I ended up sharing in the book. And I'm not saying that those are the only things that women can do. You can change your, your eating, you can change yeah. the way that you exercise, yeah. um, all the stuff that, that you teach. Right. And, and I, so I started doing a little bit of all of that. Um, I'm personally really sensitive to fluctuations in, in hormones, sex hormones in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was on the pill, I was suicidal. For example, I had six years of postpartum depression. That was another change in my sex hormones. Right. So I decided to go on to hormone replacement therapy mm-hmm. because I was going to kill my husband or he was going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here, I mean, that's the miracle of them, right? I always say it's like, do the underlying work, but it, like, let's not suffer here. Right. Exactly. And as I always say to people, like it's, it's such an an individual choice. Mm -hmm. It was a choice I made based on my past history with hormone flux. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I teach women, the tools that I use who are on hormone replacement therapy, the idea is that it helps them as they get out of the hormone replacement therapy, that it's there for them and they have those tools at their um, advantage. And so whether you are on hormone replacement therapy or not, these tools can be really, really effective because what it does is that external stressors that we're coming into perimenopause with, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff that we've carried with us, um, whatever it is that your stressors are, we've all got them. Um, what we're doing is we're affecting those stressors. So we're shrinking that cortisol burden um, so that your your menopause cortisol burden is not so huge in your body so that you can you can tolerate it. Love that. That's a great, a great way of putting it. So when we're trying to reduce that burden, what are, what are some ways or what are some of the tools or if you, if you can share with us, um, that, that women can use that we can implement and and why do they work? Yeah, I love these tools. Um, that I share probably like, I don't know, 30, 40 of them in the book. Well, I'm excited to read it. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I will actually give you one that's not in the book. Um, so these are all, again, these are the body up tools. And so this one is not in the book, but I'll share it with you. Um, a lot of, um, tools involve crossing the body. Mm. Um, Think about working with children. They do a lot of body cross stuff, Mm -hmm. um, to get the brain to sort of, uh, work both sides working well together. And so they've found that when you cross the body and you do alternating tactile stimulation, so touching the body in an alternating right, left, right, left kind of way, when you're crossing the body, they have found that that helps calm the amygdala, the fear center of the brain. Mm -hmm. It helps with your sense of what's going on in your your body, which is a really big, um, important point when you are learning how to manage stress is knowing if you are in stress, right. And knowing what's going on in your body. So it improves that area of the brain. It's called the insula and it helps with resilience. So it's going to calm your nervous system down. So before I share this tool with you, I just want to make a point that not all tools work the same for everybody. It's not a one size fits all kind of thing. 
right? So a lot of people, um, they, they hear about yoga or breathing or meditation or whatever it is, you know, hot bath, whatever it is. Yeah. And because it works for their best friend, they think it's going to work for them. And they or that it should. And if it doesn't, that it, there's something wrong with them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it starts this, this spiral of shame and ironically of stress. They start to get upset and stressed out that, oh, maybe I'm doing it wrong, or maybe I need to do it more, you know, and you start going to more yoga classes and trying beating yourself up if you didn't do enough meditation and, and all of that. So really what we want to do is we want to find a tool that's simple, easy, short, and that works for you. Mm-hmm. Don't assume it's going to work for you just because somebody told you that it works for them. It, and it's not something wrong with the tool. It's just, it's not the right tool for you. Yeah. Just like not everyone, every person out there is for you, right? Like you've got to find the right thing that, as you said, yeah, it feels right since we're all bio-individuals. I love that you said that. Um, okay. So we're looking for tools and you know, so we talked a bit, we touched on, obviously, as we said, you mentioned nutrition and fitness, things like that can really help manage that I know I talk about a lot. But with these, some of these core tools, are these real like stress directors or these things that impact the vagus nerve? I wanted to ask you a bit about that. Um, So some of, some of the tools impact the vagus nerve. Um, This first tool I'm going to teach you is not necessarily vagus nerve uh, focused. This is more based on, it was actually created by, um, have you ever heard of EMDR? It's a branch of psychology. Um, So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it um, is based on that. Um, And it was created there's sort of some controversy as to whether Francine Shapiro, who created EMDR, created this tool or if it was one of her colleagues. But anyways, somebody from EMDR created this tool. It's called the butterfly hug. So um, for your listeners, you're going to take your hands up so that your palms are facing you. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to cross your hands in front of your face, Mm -hmm. palms facing you. And now bring your hands down so that your fingers are just above your collarbones. So now your hands are crossed and your fingers are sort of, sorry, not just above, just underneath your collar. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Just under your collarbones. Um, And now we're going to tap right side of the body, left side of the body, right, then left. And you can tap fast or slow. doesn't matter. You can do this eyes open, eyes closed. You can do this with some pressure or super light. You kind of play with it and just see what works for you. And as you're doing this, check in with yourself and see, like, does this make me feel more anxious? Does this make me feel less anxious? Does this make me feel softer, more expansive? If if so, then you know that it's calming your nervous system. Some people will sigh or yawn. That's also a clue that it's helping your nervous system. Interesting. That's a, why, why, why is sighing or yawning a clue that it is helping your nervous system? That's a great question. So if you think of what the calming nervous system does, um, it's called your rest and digest system, mm-hmm. right? And so um, sighing and yawning are signs that you're going into rest. Oh, there's a I, nice just, I, just, I was doing the exercise and I just sighed after. So it obviously is a good thing. I felt very relaxed doing it, but sorry, I didn't mean to disrupt Yeah, no, that's, you can disrupt me with a sigh anytime. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so sighing and yawning are signs of resting. And so signs of digesting that might be a clue for you that a tool is working for you would be like a tummy gurgle or increased salivation, those types of things. Um, 
That's fascinating. So a tool like this, Chantal, how, when you, you know, you talked about, we want to find something that is easy and simple and short, like how often are we to do these tools when we know we're feeling stressed or, or should we be trying to schedule them throughout and do a certain amount throughout the day and in almost like a, you know, proactive approach or, or is there structure? Um, I would say whatever fits into your life. Yeah. But ideally you want to do this sort of on a consistent basis so that when you do have a stressor, mm-hmm. you are able to handle it a little better and you're more in, inclined to actually think about doing that tool. So the more you do it throughout the day, the more you're going to be ready to grab for it when you do actually need it. And it will give you a bigger bandwidth to handle the stress. So what I usually tell people is to um, pair it with something that they do on a regular basis, mm-hmm. like brushing your teeth. All of that, like habit stacking. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's so great. I like to do it. Um, I've started, I've been learning more about this stuff, you know, since following you and just in general, you know, with my clients and because I realize how important this is. And for me, I like to do it before I eat. Like if I just, before I sit down and eat, I just take a few minutes and it kind of set, settles you into that calm mode before you eat. And that works really well for me, but I like that tip of, of habit stacking. How powerful. Yeah, that's I love that because um, I have a chapter on eating in the book and I talk about settling and then savoring, which is basically what you just said. You do a tool first, which so many people have a stressful relationship with food. Yeah. And so that can be really helpful. So then think about it. It gets you into a digestion mode, right? Yes. Yes. I was reading this study and maybe you can speak on it, which I found so fascinating um, where, you know, the reality of, of the state of your nervous system when you eat really determines whether you are going to be able to assimilate and use the nutrients of the food or, or suppress that metabolism, really just store it because of, of the fact that you're in that more, um, that you're in the stress state, the fight or flight state versus the rest and digest state. And I found that so interesting. Yeah. They've done some really interesting studies on that. They, they, we know that when you're stressed, your fat stores are also stressed. And when your fat stores are stressed, they go, well, you know, we better protect ourselves for future stress because apparently we're going to war or something, right? Yeah. Like let's prepare. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have decreased fat burning. Another interesting study they did on fat is they gave two groups of women the same caloric breakfast and they gave them one group got healthy fats and the other group got unhealthy fats, but the same calories. And then they um, asked them, you know, that day that you got that breakfast from us, how stressed were you? And they calibrated on a scale of zero to 10, I think it was. And what they found is that the women who were under moderate to high levels of stress, whether they got the healthy fats or the unhealthy fats, their bodies responded as if it was unhealthy fat. Ah. I love that. That's just so powerful that we don't even realize. And doesn't it explain so much when you think about how often you hear of women, you know, I have a lot of clients who I feel like they're like, I just feel like I'm barely eating. I'm like, you are barely eating, which adds another stress to your body. But if you're stressed when you eat, then it's, it's like, you're just working against yourself. So that's, wow, that's a great study to share. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so excited about this interview. So, okay. This is really, really great. I loved that, that tool that you gave us there. And you said you share how many in the book? 30? I got to count them one day. I keep, I keep fascinating. It's like, it's something like that. Yeah. Oh, I'm really, really excited. So can we talk though about, um, I'm just so interested in this idea around the vagus nerve. What is it? Let's share what it is for people. 
So the vagus nerve is um, your parasympathetic nervous system, right? And the parasympathetic nervous system is, again, that rest and digest system. It's your calming nervous system. Um, What we know is that there are two branches to the vagus. There's the ventral branch, which is your calming nervous system. And there's the dorsal branch, which is your freeze nervous system. And this comes from um, Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory. And so... um, When we are talking to our vagus nerve through these tools that we use through the body, we generally are talking to the ventral branch of the vagus nerve, and that allows us to calm. Okay. Um, When the cool thing about when I was studying the polyvagal theory is that it's not just the vagus nerve. Everybody really gets into the vagus nerve, but the vagus nerve sometimes is not as easy to talk to as some of our more superficial cranial nerves. Um, and the vagus nerve is a cranial nerve. It's cranial nerve 10. Um, and But there are, according to the polyvagal theory, there are four other cranial nerves that intersect with the vagus nerve and act as portals to our vagus nerve. Ooh. Yeah, fun stuff. And this other is other ways to get in. Yes, exactly. And this is where, as a physical therapist, I started geeking out on this information. So one of those cranial nerves is your trigeminal nerve and that nerve feeds your jaw. So going back to our eating, this is a tool I share again in the eating chapter, because of course, when we chew, we're using our jaw. And so I find that this particular tool, it can be used anytime for any stress, but it's really good to use if you do indeed have a, a stressful relationship with food. So if you take two fingers and you put them right on your jawbone, that TMJ bone. So if you go just in front of your ears and you open and close your mouth a couple of times, you'll feel it pop out under your fingers. And for your listeners, they're just going to circle, do little baby circles, little self-massage on that jawbone. So now what we are doing is we are talking to our trigeminal nerve, which is part of your calming nervous system. And that is going to talk to your vagus nerve. Oh, my goodness. And again, is this so these tools, this one and the butterfly one that we talked to, like, you know, we talked about them being short. Like, is there is it like, you know, at least we do it for at least 30 seconds. Is there a guideline there in any of these or do we just kind of do it until we feel better? It really depends on you as a person, because some people are really sensitive to these tools and some people are not. Some people could do this for half an hour. I don't recommend you do it for half an hour. I recommend like at max, like a minute. Um, But if you do this for 10 seconds and you feel yourself calming down, or maybe you feel yourself getting more anxious, then it's time to stop. Right. But as soon as you feel yourself lightening and calming a little bit, then you can stop. You don't need to keep going. Yeah. So for most people, it takes about 30 seconds of just working on this and you can go from the jaw all the way down your jawline to your chin. Um, And again, you can do this right before you eat. You can do this before you decide what you're going to eat. You can do this before a long car ride that's going to be stressful. You can do this between leaving work and going into your home or vice versa, going from your home to work, maybe in the parking lot, because it just sort of resets you. 
Yeah. Or even maybe after you eat, if you feel like if you're, I think sometimes people get a bit stressed even after they eat, you know, if we're, if we are an anxious eater, we get overwhelmed with food in general. Could that still be a good time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to help you digest for sure. And yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. I like that. So, so there are these other nerves that are act as portals to help support the vagus nerve, which is really around helping us, you know, shift into that calming rest and digest, which just to try to connect the dots for everyone is a huge piece that's going to reduce this, the cortisol load on the body so we can handle the stress load that is, that is coming through the menopause transition. Yeah. And just um, one thing about that jaw release too, that I wanted to point out is that there is a connection between a tight jaw and a tight pelvic floor. I have heard about this. Talk about it. I'd love to. Um, So women who are having pain with intercourse as part of a symptom of perimenopause or menopause, um, oftentimes that's due to a decrease in lubrication, but also a tight pelvic floor. So a lot of women are told to do kegels and it's actually the opposite of what they should be doing. Relaxing. Yeah, they should be relaxing. And so actually relaxing your jaw can help relax your pelvic floor. Oh my goodness. That's so interesting. And is it, is it one of these things where it's like a chicken or egg, like tension in one can cause tension in the other tension in one, you know what I mean? So we're not really sure where it starts. It can go in both ways. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So it might be, you know, if, if you're having more of an oral issue that way, that can actually cause difficulties down below. I have, you know, I think one of the most fascinating things I learned about the pelvic floor, aside from what you just told me that we think, you know, we, I think it's sex in the city that taught us all this. Everyone should be doing their Kegels, right? Yeah. And, but as you said, it's really more, it almost like creates more tension in there as opposed to a relaxation. In fitness, it's almost like remembering you need to like elongate your muscle if you're going to try to bulk it up again. It's like we tense and we and people forget to stretch. So it's really a very similar concept, isn't it? But the other thing I heard is that is how quickly the pelvic floor responds to stress. Is that right? I yeah, I believe that is right. Yeah, I I work with a lot of pelvic floor therapists. I personally am not am not one, but they they would probably agree with that statement. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's amazing. This has been incredible. I really appreciate everything that you've done. Are you able to give us maybe just one more tip today? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna melt because I find these so. I mean, you know, for anyone watching this on YouTube, you're gonna actually be able to see what we, you know, see her walk me through the exercises. But and of course, I would really recommend going to get the book. That's what I'm gonna do, so I can see all maybe 30. Um, but I they have immediately worked on me, like just seeing that the reaction of that. It's like, oh gosh, so great to have really quick tools when we know we're overwhelmed, whether it's you're stressed because of your children or because of work or because of food or just because of your hormones. Like how amazing to have quick, like we're always looking for quick hacks and that's kind of what these feel like to me. Yeah. I think a lot of us do them intuitively too. So here's another one that you might do intuitively. And it's also um, part of the cranial nerve system that feeds into the vagus nerve. Um, And there's one in our throat. And so that's why you will hear people talking about gargling, humming, or singing. Mm. And that is to activate that cranial nerve. So humming is really um, a good one. You can do that in the car on the way to work to help you kind of settle before work, um, wherever you want to hum, in the shower, wherever. And that one is great because you can do it almost anywhere when you get a... a oh, chair. I love that. And is, is humming, is it just as valuable to sing? Like if you're singing against mm-hmm. or is, is, is it specific to humming? 
Nope. They've done tons of research on singing and it actually calms the nervous system. Humming, singing. I love That's why it feels so good. You know, when you're driving alone, you crank up your favorite song and you just let it out and you're like, oh, I just feel amazing now. That was you in the car next to me. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I'm all about that these days. It's like my favorite thing to do to calm down is is singing on the way. I love it. It's perfect. That's incredible. Ah, that's so awesome. I so appreciate it. So I want to recap to make sure I have everything, you know, make sure I have this right for everyone and just so that they can understand. We understand that, that, you know, that that real stress connection in menopause, that there's that kind of greater workload because of the hormonal shifting and that one of the most powerful ways we can start to feel better in these symptoms that are going to come up from this added load is by reducing the other stress load, Right. Absolutely. And, and some of these tools that you share are, you know, are incredible ways to just reduce that piece. And it ends up being like this beautiful chain of relaxation through your body and, and supports our hormones without eating less or moving more, which I think is such a powerful thing for women to hear. I almost find, I don't know about you, but I have found that in perimenopause and the menopause transition, that the answer is rarely to do more. It's most often to slow down and do less. That's beautiful. Yes. Less intensity. We are so intense in trying to fix ourselves mm-hmm. and, and the, that intensity creates more cortisol and that's going to create all sorts of downward spirals for people. Is that intensity to like that, even that concept of fixing ourselves or doing, doing, doing that's in the masculine energy too. Wouldn't it be? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think we've learned how to push, 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 push. And I think that's part of our culture and our culture is fairly masculine. So, yeah. Oh, this has been amazing, Chantal. I so appreciate it. Like, I'm so excited to go get your book. And, uh, you know, I, I I will put a link to it in the show notes for everyone. And certainly check out Chantal's Instagram as well. So we'll put all those links in. But is there a best place for people to reach out to you, for people to, you know, if they want to learn more about these things specifically? Yeah, I I do a lot of work on Instagram. So my Instagram is at Body Insight Inc. And if they want to know about workshops coming up, it's at my website is bodyinsight.com. Awesome. Okay. I will put these links in the show notes below. So check out Chantal, go follow these things, try out these tips today because they really work. You just watched it happen on this episode. And uh and be more in your life and not just less on a scale. Thank you so much, Chantel. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Bria. It was lovely. Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.